This month, in honor of February Love Month, Valentine's Day, we're talking all about generating love and goodwill with your clients. In the first episode of this month, I talked about something called the Love Bank, which I have repurposed as a trust bank for clients. It is the bank of goodwill that we build with anyone that we're in a relationship with. And we really are in a relationship with clients when we work with them. Last week, I talked about all the different kinds of deposits that you can make to strengthen your relationship with clients and so that they really grow to love and trust you and love working with you very, very quickly. So this week, I want to talk about the other side of it, withdrawals. You're listening to the No BS Agency Podcast. We talk strategies that can take your one to two person branding agency from $5,000 to $30,000 per month without hiring employees or working your ass off. All you have to do is cut the BS. I am Pia Silva. Now, if we think about trust in any relationship, trust is built on experiences. If you think about an important relationship that you have, and if somebody breaks your trust, a simple, I'm sorry, or an act of goodwill usually isn't enough to make up for a really big breach of trust. In the trust love bank scenario, withdrawals, unfortunately, carry a lot more weight than deposits which is why we want to do everything in our power to avoid withdrawals at all costs. And today I want to share some withdrawals with you that are either not on your radar or things that you may not even be aware of can be withdrawals. Because when I think of a withdrawal in the withdrawal deposit relationship, there are the obvious ones, right? Like not doing great work or not delivering something on time or I don't know, really egregious withdrawals. And I've hired people over the years who did some egregious things to me. I remember one guy that I hired, not only did he not deliver almost anything on the day that he said he would, but when that day came along, he would also be nowhere to be found. I remember chasing him around asking when I was going to get certain deliverables and I wouldn't even hear back from him for days. So imagine as a client expecting to get something on Monday and sending follow-up emails on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday saying, uh, am I ever going to get this thing? I've had that happen to me multiple times. Those are not the withdrawals I'm going to talk about on this episode. I'm going to give you guys all the benefit of the doubt that you know that those are not okay. Instead, I want to share the kinds of withdrawals that might just be things that are a natural habit for you. Maybe it's not that your clients don't trust you. That may feel too extreme, but they don't build that deep trust that I'm looking for with my clients. The kind of trust that allows a project to go so smoothly that there are no hiccups, no out of scope requests, and the project ends on time. Because remember, why am I even sharing all about this love bank? Because the love bank that builds this trust with clients is such a critical piece of being able to take a client through an intensive process. We build entire brands in a one to three day intensive with our clients, which means we do a project ahead of time. We do the creative work ahead of time. And then over those one to three days, we take them through a process where we are showing them work. We're getting their feedback and making revisions in real time such that it is 
completed by the end of the intensive. And the only way that is even possible is if a client is happily following our lead and basically approving creative work on the spot with few to no revisions. And we're not rolling the dice with every project, hoping they like it. That would obviously not work. The reason we know that clients will go along with it and be happy about it and be excited about the work and say yes, is because we intentionally build this love bank full of trust with them before it happens. So we know that the client is on board and ready to follow our lead and say yes, and not do the things that most clients do when projects are long and drawn out. And there's not a ton of this deeper trust that I'm talking about where they do question things and ask if they can see it five different ways and ask their friend or spouse or cousin what they think about it because they want additional opinions. Those are all things that clients do because they don't have a deep trust in their own opinion and in yours. And again, it's not something that is conscious. I don't think they're sitting there going, I really don't trust this person. I need a second opinion. They just don't. That's why they think to get a second opinion. So we're going to eliminate all of that by building this deep trust bank. And we have to do that not only by putting in as many deposits as possible, but by avoiding as many withdrawals as possible. So today I'm going to share the four main withdrawals that I want to highlight for you so that you become more aware of them. Number one, this has to do with setting expectations about communication. A withdrawal, I think, is not responding to emails within 24 hours excluding weekends. Now, I don't mean that you need to be at the beck and call of clients. Uh, I don't mean that you need to be in email conversations with them. I know that can take a lot of time. Again, the NoBS model is developed, is designed so that you aren't going back and forth with clients all the time. When you nail the intensives process, there's actually very little back and forth communication between the lead product experience and the intensive. So, The whole thing is designed so that you basically interact once at the beginning and then you take them through the intensive. But that said, there's always going to be a little bit of email communication. And what I think is really important as a service provider is to get back to clients as quickly as possible. That does not mean you have to respond to what they're asking, but it is very easy to respond to someone and say, Hey, just want to let you know, I got your email and I will get back to you on such and such date. That's all it is. That takes 10 seconds to do, but it is the difference between a client sending you a question and then wondering about when they're going to hear back, possibly for days. I've been in situations where I'm in the middle of an intensive and uh, a client that I'm going to be working with in a few weeks emails me. I'm, I don't have the bandwidth at that moment to respond to them or think about what I'm going to say. In the past, my default would have just been to star that email and then respond to it later. But over the years, I've realized, especially because I've been on the receiving end of this too, that it is so much nicer to just send an email back saying, Hey, I got this. I'm going to respond to you on Friday because I don't have the bandwidth right now. What that does to your client is it lets them know that they are taken care of and that they can forget about this email now because they don't have to wonder what's happening with it. And I find that that interaction bodes so well for the kind of experience they're going to have working with you. And it gets them in this really comfortable, trusting place where they know no matter what happens, 
you're always there for them, even if you're not actually doing the heavy lifting of maybe responding to an email with you know, a more thoughtful response. I guess I'll say one B. So respond quickly, even if it's just to say you're going to respond later. And another piece of that is don't respond on nights and weekends if you don't always respond on nights and weekends. I think a withdrawal is actually to respond at night or on a weekend because the second you do that, you set an expectation that you are available at those times and it's actually creating an opportunity for withdrawal later. So while responding to someone late at night or on the weekends in and of itself is not such a bad thing. I mean, none of these are such bad things. It's not so terrible to do that. But the second you do that with a client, you've opened the door. You've created an expectation, whether you like it or not, that you will be responding on nights and weekends such that if your client later on has you know, an urgent request or a question and they email you late at night, they may be disappointed that you do not respond. I'll give you a a quick story about this. A long time ago, one of the first business coaches that I worked with was very boundaried in the time that he would spend with me. So we worked together for one hour every week. We had a 60 minute meeting. And let me tell you at 60 minutes, it was done. It was over. There was no bleeding over into the next five minutes. Um, There was no interaction really in between. And you might say that that feels a little harsh. I mean, it even felt slightly harsh to me at the time. I was like, gosh, you can't even talk to me for like two extra minutes. But around the same time, I don't remember if it was before or after, I had a different business coach who I would meet with in person for, um, I think, two hours every other week. She was much less boundary. She had no boundaries, actually. So we would meet and our meetings would go on for sometimes three hours plus. And at the time, I remember thinking like, I've got stuff to do. I can't sit here for another hour. And usually I would have to cut the meeting off. And she was very willing to chat in between and converse and send me emails and stuff. So these are the two very extreme versions of working with somebody where I got to see the difference. Now, I'm sure that you can relate to that feeling because I I was her too at some point. It's like, well, this person's paying me. I just want to do whatever I can to help them and I'll give them more time and I'll communicate with them in between because you know I don't want them to feel like I'm trying to keep anything from them. But what I experienced as a client was that I was actually much less prepared when I would meet with her. It wasn't just that the time would bleed into longer and longer sessions or that I felt awkward that I had to be the one to say, hey, I've actually got to go. So we have to end this meeting now. Um, And honestly, sometimes a little frustrated because I thought I I don't have like four hours to meet with you every other week. I've got, you know, I've got this business to run. But it was a general lack of clarity around the relationship that meant that I didn't show up as my best self especially compared to how I was with this other business coach. I had that one hour. It was super clear. There were clear boundaries in place and I showed up ready to work. I showed up with my list from last week, clarity around what I had done, what my questions were. We were so much more productive in that one hour session every week than I was over multiple hours with this other business coach and all the communication in between. I share this story because I know that sometimes it can feel uncomfortable to not respond to something quickly, especially when it feels like there's urgency. And I'm going to tell you right now, I did get pretty good 
at managing these boundaries, not responding out of urgency on nights and weekends when it came to these high priced done for you services. But I'm still guilty of responding on nights and weekends sometimes to my current coaching clients because I also feel that way. So I just want to let you know that it's not like I expect you to be perfect. I just want you to be aware of this because every time I respond to someone at night or on the weekends, I know in my gut that I'm creating an expectation that I am available at those times when I'm usually not. So I know it's hard, but those expectations are set by how you respond to your clients, whether it's ending an hour long meeting at the hour, not just because you want to be respectful of your time and the time they've paid you for, but you want to be respectful of their time. Or it's about not conversing on nights and weekends, times when you're out of town to set the expectation that you don't converse during those times. Whatever expectation you set by how you interact with your clients from the very beginning is going to actually set the tone for how they expect you to respond to them. And rather than feel like I wasn't getting as much out of the business coach who only gave me the one hour a week, he similarly never responded to me on nights and weekends, would never respond out of urgency. And so I never contacted him out of urgency, right? I would never email him and say, oh my God, I need a response right now. Help. I would send those emails to the other business coach because she did set the expectation that she would respond. I can even talk to this from a client's perspective. I was a harder client to work with, with the business coach that was less boundaried than the business coach that was. Just a side note here. It is not lost on me that it was a man that had very clear boundaries and a woman who didn't. I think that there is an inherent piece of being female where a lot of us tend to want to people, please. We want to help. We kind of let our boundaries be loose because we want to be so helpful, which is why it's a learned skill. And I know a lot of men who are like that too, because I know a lot of men who also want to be very helpful, but I do see that it tends to be that women struggle with this a little bit more. And we just need to be more aware of it. And we just need to be more okay with enforcing those boundaries and communicating them. I'm giving you permission right now, if you're a woman or a man listening to this and saying that feels uncomfortable, I don't want to be rude. I don't want my clients to think that I don't care. And I want to let you know right now that you can care a lot and still be boundaried. Okay. So this has become an episode about boundaries. I think that it warrants a whole other episode. (laughs) So let's keep going. So that's the first one. Um, It's just about communication, especially via email and when you do and don't so that you can manage expectations. Number two, making it hard to connect with you. Have you ever had an experience where you went to somebody's website and you were interested in communicating with them, but the only thing you could find about them was a faceless form to fill out, which means you put your information in, press send, and then you're just waiting to hear back. I think that is one of the worst ways to offer communication on a website because there's no clear expectation of when they can hear back from you. Similarly, Um, how many times have I been in email communication with somebody where we decided we were going to have a conversation, maybe a, a chat where they said, call me. And then I couldn't find their phone number because maybe it was in the footer of their email, but that footer isn't repeated every time they respond. So now I am going and trying to find how to communicate with this person, how to connect with them, how to call them because we have a call or trying to figure out how I can just send them an email or whatever, because their information is not readily available. 
I consider this a withdrawal because it creates uh, an experience of frustration when somebody is trying to connect with you or possibly hire you. And if I'm hiring someone and my first experience is frustration because I can't find how to connect with them, or it's just me filling out a form and then wondering when I'm going to hear back from them. It's not a great first impression. So I'm a huge fan of two things that are really easy you can do right now. One of them is to have a booking link on your website. If someone's interested in working with you, link to a Calendly, an Acuity, whatever, so that they can get right on your calendar. Because once they're on your calendar, now they know that there is a time set to talk to you and they can go about their day. And the second thing is to have your signature in your email with all of your contact information and set your email. I know you can do this in uh, Google apps. I probably do this everywhere. Set it up so that your email adds your footer to every single response. Because I've been in email chains where we've gone back and forth 50 times and then I need to call them and I can't find their phone number or they don't put their phone number in their email, which I know that people are very protective of their phone numbers because they don't want to get spam. Um, I'm not, but I get a lot of spam. But another way you can avoid that is just get like a Google number, right? Get a secondary number, something, make it easy for people to find you. And more importantly, don't create this experience of frustration that people who may want to hire you are going around searching for how to connect with you. Okay. The third withdrawal, I did talk about the opposite, the deposit in the last episode, and it has to do with when you deliver work. So I have a real pet peeve with people who deliver work at the end of the day, because it's technically still being delivered on the day it's due. And I know this is like most people that I talk to, right? Because this is just kind of a default, especially creatives. They think, well, I said, I'm going to send it to them on Wednesday. So I have all day Wednesday. The problem is you're creating an experience where your client is wondering where the work is all day Wednesday, especially if they're really excited about it. So as I mentioned last week, I have a rule that you send things at 8 a.m. the day that it's due. And all you have to do to change this is to make it due for you the day before. I can't tell you how many times somebody has told me they will send me something on Wednesday and I received it at midnight on Wednesday. And while that is technically still Wednesday, it's not really Wednesday for me, right? Because I'm already asleep. I'm not really going to see this until Thursday. And the reason this is a withdrawal is not because it's so terrible, right? Most clients, maybe some clients won't even notice because they're not even paying attention to when they were supposed to receive it. Some clients are though, and they're waiting for it. And what you're doing is creating this experience where they're wondering about it. They may even email you about it that day telling you, oh, I'm so excited to receive it. Like, do you know when you're going to send it? That is unnecessary time and energy that they are spending connecting with you and emailing you and that you're experiencing by receiving that email and then probably feeling stressed because you're still working on it. So the easiest thing to do, just make it do the day before for you and then set the email to go out the following day. Create that delightful experience. Not only does it eliminate all of that frustration that may happen when a client is waiting for something and not getting it all day, and you're taking up precious real estate in their mind, not in a positive way, but it's also creating this really strong, reliable experience that they know that they can rely on you to do exactly what you say you're going to do. And you're going to do it above and beyond. You're not going to make them wait. When you say something is coming on Wednesday, it is in their inbox when they sit down to work. 
when you always send things at 8 a.m. or very early on the day it's due, you're creating this expectation that you meet expectations at the highest level without breaking boundaries. So I don't even think you should send it earlier. Similarly to the first one, I don't even want you to send work the day before if it's ready or a couple days before, because while that may seem like a positive thing at first, you are then creating an expectation that your deadlines are not set in stone. That when you say you're going to deliver something on Friday, if it's ready earlier, you may send it on Wednesday. And while that doesn't sound like a negative in that particular experience, the next time around, they may want it earlier and they may ask you to get it earlier. And then you might on that point, not be able to send it earlier. And while there's nothing wrong with that, you kind of set an expectation that you might be able to do it. And then you didn't quite meet it. So these are really um, technical, but what I've experienced is over the course of, you know, in the scheme of things, a pretty short client relationship, these are ways to build a lot of strength really quickly or kind of weaken that trust. If you don't have that level of trust, it will come through later on in a project. When you lack that really strong trust bond, clients will want to see your work. You know, they may say, I love it, but can I see it five different ways? That's when clients say, I love it, but let me think about it. Let me show it to a friend. Let me show it to a colleague, a a partner. When people want other opinions, it's because they don't trust their opinion or your opinion strong enough to not go outside of that relationship. So what we're trying to do by avoiding as many withdrawals as possible is build such a strong trust bond that they have no need to go outside because they trust your word more than their partners or other people. And the last one is making the client work for things. The no BS model is all about taking things off the client's plate, making it really easy for the clients to just sit back, give you the info you need, and then let you run with the project, let you lead it where they can just come along for the ride and say yes along the way so that the project goes as smoothly as possible. We all know that when projects go off the rails, it can often feel like it's because of the clients. The clients are asking for all these things. They're taking it out of scope. They're changing their mind. They're bringing in other people's opinions. They're not getting me the copy I need. They're not getting me the the photos I need. These are all things that I have experienced that make projects go on forever. Well, the no BS model is all about eliminating that stuff by not asking them to do anything that you don't need them to do. So the way that we manage these projects is we figure out the basically the least that we need from the clients. We get that from them in the most efficient way possible. And then we say, sit back and relax. We've got this. That's what makes the experience so effective and also so premium. So why are you able to charge more for a project that seemingly takes less time? Because the experience is so elevated. So if we're going to give that kind of white glove, easy experience, we're going to take the work off their plate. Then we want to make sure we do this in every aspect of our communications with them. So don't make clients work for things. I had someone send me something recently. I I hired them to do something for me. You know, a couple weeks or months later, one of the deliverables was done and I got a text saying, okay, it's done. And I had to text back and say, okay, where is it? And then they said, oh, it's in that shared folder. 
And then I had to go find this shared folder, which, you know, I was like, okay, wait, which shared folder? And he's like, oh yeah, it's in Dropbox. Okay. So I'm like going through the motions of trying to figure out what folder this is. Now this might be something I can find really quickly, but maybe it takes me a few minutes. Maybe it takes me five minutes or 10 minutes, or I keep looking for it. And finally I text back and say, Hey, can you just send me the link? But as a client, I don't want to have to do that. If you're sending clients things to do, make it easy for them, right? Maybe you've sent them this link five times, send it again. It doesn't take that much time to do but we want to make the whole overall experience easy for clients. We want to put everything in one place. We don't want to refer back to an email that they have to go find. We don't want to refer back to a folder that they'll have to go figure out where it is. We don't want to have to refer back to a document that they'll have to go find. Attach the document again, right? Put the link. If you're talking to a prospect, don't say, oh yeah, it's on my website. Link them to the page on the website. As obvious as this may seem, I only know this because I've been on the receiving end of all kinds of communications where that is not done and where I find myself going, oh, great. Now I got to go figure out where this thing is. It's not such a big deal, but it doesn't create that high end premium experience of this is easy for me as the client and people pay for easy. Another place that we do this is in the lead product brief. I'm always advising our students to actually shorten the briefs. Now it is counterintuitive. A lot of people think, well, when somebody pays for this brief, I really want to give them their money's worth. So the longer the brief is, the better it is. Longer briefs are just more work for your client. You know what is much more valuable? A short and concise, but really strategic and thoughtful brief. And every time I get a brief that's you know, 10, 20, sometimes more pages, I always say back to them, you're asking the client to do a lot of work here, especially if a lot of these pages are filled with words where you could have said it in fewer words. You're asking the client to do the heavy lifting of sifting through all of this information to figure out what the main point is. Now, I'll be honest, it's harder to make something shorter. There's a famous quote from, I don't know, it's been attributed to uh, Lincoln and um, Mark Twain. The quote is, uh, if I'd had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. I love that quote. It's true. Your first draft of anything is probably going to be longer than what it could be. It takes more time and energy to make something concise and to the point. But that is the labor that you are being hired to do. And it's the value that your client is receiving by getting something that is tighter and more concise and to the point. I just got feedback from a student who was writing really long briefs and our team was telling her, you don't need to write this much. I know that they're paying you and you want to give them as much value as possible, but not only do you not need it to be this long, it's actually doing you a disservice. And when something finally clicked for her, she ended up writing a much shorter brief for her next client. And then she posted how that client actually remarked on how amazingly straightforward and concise and on the nose the brief was. And I loved that this student got that feedback because they got to see in real time how actually making the brief shorter was perceived as more valuable by the client. And I know that that can sometimes not land at first, and you might need to have that experience by taking a deliverable and making it smaller or shorter but seeing that the client experiences it as more impactful. So the overall theme of number four is it is a withdrawal to make a client work for something that they have paid you for. And you might be doing it in ways that you don't even realize. Make it easy on them, 
right? Put everything in one place. If you're sharing pieces of information or you're referencing something, attach it in the email, like put them all in the same folder, like link to the page, like just make it super, super simple. These are all little habits that you can start to build and things that you can notice. And it's really fun because the more you do these little things, you'll see that the stronger your relationships with your clients will be, and it will come out in ways that you don't even expect. So, you know, while these may feel like they are not related to how clients approve your work, I promise you all of these little withdrawals are what add up to a client being more difficult on the back end. So if we can eliminate these withdrawals, because I think you'll agree, they're pretty easy to eliminate, especially now that you've seen them, you're going to see your entire client experience go so much smoother. In fact, even if you don't do the no BS model at all, if you just continue to do your normal agency, long multi-month projects, getting rid of these withdrawals will still make you manage those projects so much more easily. That's all I've got for you today. I will talk to you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with more no BS tips for your agency so you can find more profit, ease, and freedom. The No BS Agency podcast is produced by Yellow House Media. Coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Sean and Tara McMullen. Our theme music is Knock 'em Down by The Shrugs. 